Welcome to the Source of Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we talk to the experts in all asset classes of commercial real estate. Listen so you can grow your wealth, expand your portfolio, improve your mindset, and live an amazing life. And now, your host, Jonathan Hayek. Welcome to this week's episode of Feedback Friday. This comes out every Friday, and it's where I give you my three biggest takeaways from my interview from earlier in the week. I think of it as the Cliff Notes version of the interview. If you haven't heard that episode, you should definitely go back and check it out. In this episode, you'll hear some of my reflections and some background information on the guest's three biggest points. This week, I talked with Darren Huang, who is an industrial real estate investor, and this conversation made me realize that I probably need to go over the top factors impacting the value and cap rates of commercial real estate. In the residential world, even the multifamily world, valuing the asset is fairly straightforward based on NOI and comps. But in the commercial, non-residential world, it's a lot more complicated than that. I am approaching this conversation from an investor's perspective. If you are an owner-operator or an owner-user of commercial real estate, you are going to value the real estate completely differently than an investor would. So take this from the perspective of an investor. So let's get right to it. The top three factors impacting the value and cap rates of commercial non-residential real estate are first, lease, second, location, third, the property itself. First, let's talk about the lease because this is the single biggest factor impacting the value of the asset by far. The most important thing about the lease is the NOI, the net operating income. Simply, how much money is that property bringing in on an annual basis? The more money that property brings in, the more it's going to be worth. Another really important factor of the lease is the quality of the tenant, the strength of the tenant. As an investor, this goes into how big of a risk this investment is. So you want to know what happens if this tenant doesn't pay. If you have a large national retailer tenant in a certain property, you can be pretty certain and pretty confident that that tenant is going to pay their rent on time as long as they don't file for bankruptcy. You can even research the strength of national tenants by various national uh, tenant grading agencies like Standard & Poor has a rating system and Moody's even has a rating system so that you can see according to these uh, rating systems how strong of a tenant this particular corporation is. Something that was surprising to me when I first started researching this is that not all national tenants are created equal. For example, a tenant like 7-Eleven is actually rated very high and has a very low probability of default, whereas another tenant like 24-Hour Fitness actually has a very low rating and has a relatively high probability of default. So in general, the better quality tenant you have, the lower the cap rate it's going to trade for. Aside from large national tenants, you could have regional tenants, which would trade for a slightly higher cap rate than a national 
tenant. And then you can have local mom and pop tenants. The local tenants are going to trade for a higher cap rate and thus have a lower value on your property. And this makes sense because even if that mom and pop tenant signs a personal guarantee, if that mom and pop tenant say, defaults and they file for bankruptcy, they're probably going to have a much lower net worth than the large national retailer. And there's going to be very little that you can do if that mom and pop tenant defaults or they declare bankruptcy. They're also probably going to be much more likely to default than a large national retailer. That's why, in general, when you're signing leases with local mom and pop tenants, it is going to be more risky than if you're signing a lease with a national tenant. And therefore, if you have a, a lease with a mom-and-pop tenant, that building is going to trade for a higher cap rate than if you have a large national tenant as the signer. Another factor impacting the quality of the lease is the amount of time left on the lease. In general, your building is going to be valued higher, so have a lower cap rate the longer the lease length left. So the more years left on the lease is more valuable to investors, and that makes sense. If you have a property with two years left on the lease versus 10 years left on the lease, there's going to be a lot more risk involved with the tenant that only has two years left on the lease, because there's a chance that that tenant could leave in two years, and then you'd have a vacancy that you'd have to fill. Remember, investors buying commercial real estate care about risk. They will pay for less risk. So the greater the risk there is in this investment, the lower the price that you're going to get for it. Let's talk about options and option periods. When I'm looking at a property to purchase and I see that it is marketed as, say, having 18 months left on the lease, but it has multiple five-year option periods, I put very little weight into those option periods for a couple of reasons. First, I have to assume that in 18 months, that tenant is leaving and I'm going to have a vacant property. In almost all cases, the option is completely up to the tenant. And in most cases, the rate at which the tenant pays is already defined in the lease terms. So it's either a continuation of the current lease rate, or there might be a modest increase like 3%. In rare cases, you'll see a lease where with options, and in the option periods, it has increases to market rent. But of course, you know that after the main term is completed and the tenant now is heading towards the option period... The tenant can always renegotiate. So even if the lease says in the option period it'll go up to market rent, the tenant isn't bound to that. The tenant can come back to you as the landlord and say, hey, I'm going to leave unless I get this price. That's why you as the landlord have very little control of options. And in general, I, I try to stay away from options because they're out of my control. In almost all cases, option periods favor the tenant. They have the control of option periods. As you talk with brokers about certain deals, brokers might try to uh, convince you that a certain deal is great because the tenant has uh, so many option periods after the, the current lease term expires. 
don't buy it, don't go for it. Um, that broker's trying to sell the deal, understandably, uh, but that broker probably has no knowledge whether or not that tenant is going to leave. And so you, as the landlord, shouldn't put any weight into the option periods. On the other hand, regarding options, you should be aware that it is a possibility that the tenant uh, could exercise those options, in which case you really do need to be aware of what those option periods entail. So in a lot of cases, especially with national tenants, there could be three or four five-year options after the original lease term is completed. That could be a good thing if you're looking for stability and that tenant is happy and is going to continue uh, renewing with the options. But it also could be a bad thing if there are really small increases or no increases in the option periods. Because that means you could be 10, 15, or 20 years down the line, and that tenant could be still paying the same rent that they're paying today. That is something that I personally would want to avoid. And so that's why option periods are not attractive to me unless uh, they include uh, really generous escalations. The final factor impacting the value of a lease is what type of lease it is. By this, I mean, is it a modified gross lease? Is it a double net lease, a triple net lease, or an absolute net lease? And this is fairly straightforward. A modified gross lease or a gross lease is going to be the least valuable type of lease, whereas a double net is going to be a little more valuable, a triple net even more valuable, and an absolute net lease is going to be the most valuable type of lease. So that was the discussion on leases. Again, uh, the lease is going to be the single most important factor in determining the value and the cap rate of a commercial property. The second factor is going to be the location. And first, this is the macro location. So the MSA, the state in which the property is located in. There are tons of resources available on how to determine uh, the value of a certain market. Um, This could include factors from population growth to how business-friendly it is to um, the income tax, the property tax rate, all those types of things. Um, You can determine for yourself um, if a certain market is valuable to invest in. The other factors of location are what I call the micro factors. So this is um, could include things like traffic counts, uh, the part of town it's located in, um, the distance to transportation, whether it's a freeway or a railroad. Um, it's, it also includes ingress, egress, whether access to the property is from a controlled intersection, whether there's a stoplight um, or a protected left turn. Um, Those are all really important factors in determining um, how valuable the location is. And different asset classes are going to require different types of of location strengths. So for example, if you have a warehouse, um, it may not be as important that you have high traffic counts or high visibility. It might be more important that you have easy access to a freeway, um, that the property allows for easy turnarounds for semi-trucks, Whereas the location for a quick serve restaurant is going to have different requirements. So you might not have to have a turnaround for semi trucks, but you do want to have high traffic counts, high visibility, great signage, things like that. 
the final factor impacting the cap rate and the value of a commercial property is the property itself. And this is a little counterintuitive because in the residential world, the property itself is almost entirely responsible for the value that that property can bring. But in the commercial world, it does have some value, but it is actually not the most important thing. When I talk about the property itself, the first thing we can think about is the aesthetics of the building. And again, depending on the asset class, the aesthetics of the building is going to have a different level of importance. If you have a class A office building, you're going to want to have a modern and contemporary feel. Whereas if you have a manufacturing or distribution warehouse, a modern and contemporary feel might not be that important to that particular asset. Another factor impacting the property value is what I'll just refer to as amenities. And these are amenities for this specific type of asset for what it's intended to be used for. So for example, um, does a retail strip center have a uh, enough parking. I was recently looking at a small strip center uh, where the numbers were really looking good, but I ultimately passed on it because there was simply no parking. There were like three parking spots right out in front of uh, the strip center, and I knew whatever tenants were going to be in there, there were um, it was a three-tenant building. Um, whatever tenants were going to be in this building, we're going to require more parking. And so um, that was ultimately uh, a factor for me passing on that particular property. If, for example, you have a medical office building, or that's its intended use, um, you might consider things like, is there ample uh, space for a waiting room? Is there plumbing in each exam room? If it's a dental office, is it set up for plumbing in the middle of the room for the dental chair? Or is that something that's going to need to be brought in at a really high expense? If it's a quick-serve restaurant, um, something that's really uh, popular in quick-serve restaurants is the uh, number and the accessibility of the drive throughs Many new quick-serve restaurants are going to multiple drive through lanes, um, and so are drive throughs available? If it's a pharmacy, is there a drive through and are there enough drive through lanes? If you're considering a warehouse, you need to think about um, things like the ceiling height, um, the accessibility for semi-trucks. Are there any dock doors? Are there any drive-in doors? These are all factors that are going to impact the desirability of a certain property. Because if that property goes vacant, you want it to be easy to lease up. So there you have it. Those are my top three factors that impact the value and cap rate of non-residential properties. First, by far, the most important factor is the lease. Second, location. Third, the property itself. To summarize, when I am looking at properties to purchase, the question that I ask myself is if, when this tenant leases up in however many years, do I want to own this property if it's vacant? Is this property in a great location? Does it have good amenities that's going to make it attractive for tenants? And is this in a good MSA where it's going to be a desi desirable for a potential tenant to come in? So while the lease is the most important factor when underwriting a deal, I always think to myself, when this leases up and I have a vacant building, am I going to be happy with this building and feel good about releasing it? 
If the answer is no, for whatever reason, then I pass on that deal. That's all for today. I hope you got value out of this short episode. I appreciate you. Until next time, take care. This content is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not financial advice, and it is not an invitation to buy or sell real estate or make any investment decisions.